It's Friday, February 15th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. A deal has been reached to avert another government shutdown, but it comes with a twist. The president will sign the compromise bill, which only gives him a fraction of the money he wanted to construct a border wall, but he will also declare a national emergency to get the rest. Caitlin Emma, budget reporter for Politico, joins us for what's next in the battle, legal challenges to the national emergency declaration. Next, Amazon has canceled its plans to build its HQ2 in Long Island City, New York. To the surprise of many, the backout is seen as a victory by local lawmakers and housing activists, which had a problem with the $3 billion in tax incentives that Amazon was going to receive. On the other hand, land developers and others are angry at the missed opportunity and lost economic activity. My producer Miranda joins us for why Amazon is backing out. Finally, Panera Bread had a vision of conscious capitalism, a restaurant that used a pay-what-you-want model to help feed those that could not afford to pay full price. That experiment has failed, and after nine years, it is closing its last Panera Cares store in Boston. Brenna Hauck, reporter for Eater.com, joins us for what went wrong. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. I've just had an opportunity to speak with President Trump, and he, I would say to all my colleagues, has indicated he's prepared to sign the bill. He will also be issuing a national emergency declaration at the same time. I've indicated to him that I'm going to support the national emergency declaration. Joining us now is Caitlin Emma, budget and appropriations reporter for Politico. Help us work through all the news that's going down with averting another partial government shutdown. We have word now that the Senate has voted on the bill. It passed overwhelmingly. The House, it's expected to pass there as well. Signals came from Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell and also from Sarah Huckabee Sanders that the president will be signing the bill, although he is also going to be declaring a national emergency as well. Let's start with the bill itself. What is in the bill? Because still the president is not getting all of the money he wants for the border wall. What do we know about that bill? The bill provides him about one point, nearly $1.4 billion for about 55 miles of fencing along the U.S.-Mexico border, which is far less than the $5.7 billion that he demanded and caused the five-week government shutdown over. So a lot of Democrats are spinning this as a win for them. You know, we didn't fund the president's wall. The bill includes more funding for technology and, and things like that. Another tricky area that sort of tripped up negotiations and almost tanked negotiations over the weekend was how many detention beds this bill would fund in terms of Democrats wanted a cap on the number of beds basically for illegal immigrants who are caught within the country. This has been a sticky issue for a really long time. The final product, both sides are sort of spitting as a win, but what it really ends up funding is about 45,000 detention beds, but the White House is sort of saying, you know, they'll be able to use more flexibility in the deal to fund as many as 52,000 beds, which is an enormous number over what was originally negotiated. Right. But aside from that, this bill also keeps nine out of 15 federal departments open and prevents them from shutting down a second time at midnight. As you said, the president wanted $5.7 billion for the wall. That would have made about 234 miles of uh, some type of barrier there. And yeah, it's gone down to 55 now. What's interesting is that this is less than what Democrats had already agreed to 
previously. They would have given him a, a slightly bit more money had they done a deal earlier. A lot of this is also very specific. Also, the money is limited to border fencing only in Texas around the uh, Rio Grande Valley sector. So it's not like they can build it in parts of California or Arizona, anywhere else. It's right. only in Texas. Right. And there are some areas there, uh, specifically in the Rio Grande Valley, this is where this, this new fencing would be put up. And when I say fencing, I'm talking about forward fencing, which I, if you've seen the pictures, this feels flat. <laughs> That's essentially what it looks like. But there are some restrictions in the bill on, on where that fencing can be built. You know, for example, the bill offers protection for a butterfly sanctuary. So there wouldn't be any fencing to block the butterflies. <laughs> Let's move on to the national emergency declaration. As I said, Mitch McConnell, Sir Huckabee Sanders have all signaled that that's what's going to happen. He's going to sign the bill and declare the national emergency at the same time. Right away, that's going to be met with legal challenges, I'm assuming. Nancy Pelosi said that it sets a bad precedent for the president to want to do something like this. Did I ever say I was filing a legal challenge? You said Democrats. I may. That's an option. And we'll review our options. But it's important to note that when the president declares this emergency, first of all, it's not an emergency. What's happening at the border? It's a humanitarian challenge to us. I know the Republicans have some unease about it, no matter what they say, uh, because if the president can declare an emergency on something that he has created as an emergency, an, an, an illusion that he wants to convey, just think of what a president with different values can present to the American people. What if a future president wants to declare a national emergency about gun control or about climate change? And Republicans need to be really wary of something like that. If President Trump does this now, you open it up to a bunch of stuff later on. Members on both sides of the aisle are sort of making that argument. Uh, there are Republicans who also aren't comfortable with the president exercising his executive authority to free up more money and build more of a barrier along the along the southern border. But on Thursday, I mean, that is really what we saw as a tipping point because all day we're sort of waiting for the Senate to take action on the spending bill, and there still was very little clarity from the White House in terms of whether or not he could publicly support this package, and he's sort of been drawing out the suspense for days by yeah. you know, not giving any sort of firm commitment. But we saw fairly abruptly, Senator McConnell came onto the floor in the middle of a speech that Senator Grassley was giving and sort of interrupted him and said, I just spoke to the president. He said he's going to sign this. He's going to declare a national emergency at the same time. So that will definitely be met with legal challenges. We know that he has been, the White House has been looking at passive money, Army Corps of Engineering money that has been used for water projects and disaster relief funding you know, for Puerto Rico, military construction funds that he might try to tap into to, yeah. to use for a border barrier. But no matter what, how severe this action is, it, it's definitely going to be met with legal action. Other presidents have declared national emergencies, mostly centered on foreign interests. And what do legal analysts say about this? I, I feel like everybody's on, on all sides. They say, obviously, he can declare an, a national emergency, but will it hold up? I and mean, the White House has signaled they're ready to go to court over this. I know they've had lawyers pouring over this for some time now, trying to figure out if they can do this. There's just all sorts of formats he has to go through to still get the money this way. A lot of it depends on, on what this national emergency declaration looks like and what their legal reasoning is for it. The White House and some Republicans, you know, Senator McConnell said that he is going to support the declaration of a national emergency. You know, hardline conservatives like the 
Freedom Caucus members, Congressman Mark Meadows, told reporters that as long as he signs this bill and, you know, takes certain steps, like declaring a national emergency, then he doesn't think the president's base will be ultimately very angry with him for signing a bill that gives him so little money for an actual border barrier. So I think he'll he'll still have a lot of support for the move, but it will prove to be very divisive, and it, it sort of remains to be seen exactly how Democrats in particular will respond to it. Caitlin Emma, budget and appropriations reporter for Politico. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Amazon is the biggest corporation in the country, with the richest man on earth as its head. They did not need our $3 billion. They just chose to try and shake us down for it. There's example after example of public dollars being wasted and being given to the most giant corporations among us, and disaster after disaster follows. Joining me now is my producer, Miranda. Big news out of Amazon. They have decided to cancel their plans to build a portion of their HQ2 in New York City and Long Island City in Queens. It came as a surprise to a lot of people, and I think the reaction is kind of evenly split. People are really pissed off, and people are really happy about it. A lot of local lawmakers are really happy about this because they were angry that they were getting about $3 billion in tax incentives and other types of incentives to come and build there. Um, So they're pretty happy about it. I know land developers are not happy about it because they were expecting a huge boon there. So, Miranda, tell us why Amazon decided not to proceed with their plans there in New York. Amazon has decided to cancel their plans in response to the public outrage and outcry from the people who have lived in this borough of Long Island City, part of Queens, because there are concerns about government kickbacks. There were concerns about skyrocketing rents and land values. People were concerned that they were going to get priced out of the neighborhoods they've been living in for 50 years. And that's a very real concern. Amazon, to their part, said that they're not going to reopen their HQ2 search. So wherever you're living, don't stress if Amazon is going to come live there too. They're not. They're going to expand where they already exist. So the 25,000 jobs slated for New York City are going to be relocated to other parts of the HQ2 sites like D.C., Nashville, and then other parts of New York City. Yeah, and that was a huge process in and of itself. They spent over a year looking for candidates to host the new HQ2. That's when they decided they were going to split it between two cities. And then also in Nashville, they were going to open some other operations hub there. Nobody knows exactly what the fate of those 25,000 jobs are going to be or that $2.5 billion in investment. Obviously, it's going to be spread about, but it's not going to be as much of an impact in one location as it was before. They also said that, you know, they love New York, but they needed a place that required positive collaborative relationships with state and local elected officials who will be supportive over the long term. And they just were not getting that. Governor Andrew Cuomo and Mayor Bill de Blasio helped usher in all this stuff, assuming they kind of cleared the way without the need for a lot of local input. And that's really what the big sticking point was. They got mad that they got skirted over it and had to give all sorts of concessions. Yeah. And, you know, it's the smaller neighborhood representatives, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez tweeting out, anything is possible. Today was the day a group of dedicated everyday New Yorkers and their neighbors defeated Amazon's corporate greed. But to their part, the brokers are furious because right. they're saying we want the Bezoses. You want the Carnegies and the Rockefellers. And if they're going to get pushback like this, we're going to stop bringing big business to New York City. 
Yeah, I, a lot of the land developers and the brokers, as you're saying, they're just in the lurch now. You know, if you had a deal that was in the process, now you're thrown into chaos. And they're even saying that, you know, it would have been great to transform Long Island City into some type of 24-7 district with, you know, shops, the whole nine, you know, housing and all the stuff that comes with it. And now that it's just going to remain a place for Manhattan commuters to sleep, you know, it's not going to become anything there. It's a bedroom community. I have close friends who just moved away from there. And it is, it's like a small town. That's a six minute subway ride from Midtown. And, and you know, a lot of people are, are pissed at the fact that they were going to get so much in tax incentives. Amazon for the second year in a row will pay zero in federal income taxes. You know, when people hear that kind of stuff, the, the huge mega corporations, you get angry at the fact that they don't have to pay taxes. And then as we're all doing our income taxes right now, you know, a lot of people <laughs> are getting screwed. So it's an interesting thing to kind of square away. But $3 billion in tax incentives, who's to say how much real economic benefit they would have brought just with the amount of people, with the amount of development, it seems to me that it would have been more than that. Ultimately, an economic boom. But Amazon has also faced a lot of criticism in the fact that they're very anti-union and labor activists, especially in New York City, have been trying to stage protests since the announcement was made in November saying Amazon will have to unionize that they want to be in New York City. Increasingly, people are ordering things online. Amazon, obviously, at the forefront of a lot of that stuff. I don't think it'll hamper their ability to send out deliveries, but where business centers are going to be created, they're all missing out there now. And, uh, you know, it also sends a signal that yes, the people did win and they pushed Amazon out, but also Amazon leaving just like that proves that they're not going to take anything from anybody. And if you don't want them there, Hey, we'll move our business elsewhere. The, uh, other cities in Virginia, Northern Virginia and in Nashville, they're not getting any pushback like this. Nothing like this. And Amazon specifically chose New York because they wanted to have a wide reach in order to cast a wide net and get the best available talent. Right. So all those New York City tech programmers are either going to have to move or, or stick work, with something else. Work somewhere else. Yep. Thank you, Miranda. Thanks, Oscar. If we sit there and look at you and say, you can leave whatever you want, but here's the cash register, how much are you leaving me? We're destroying that dignity. And we said, we're going to take a chance. We're going to give you just a donation box. And we're going to leave it up to you to leave what you want. Joining us now is Brenna Hauk, reporter for Eater.com. So it was about nine years ago that Panera Bread announced they were doing a new pay-what-you-want restaurant. They just called it Panera Cares. It's been nine years, and unfortunately, today is the last day of this experiment. I think the CEO at the time said, in many ways, this whole experiment is ultimately a test of humanity. Would people pay for it? Would people come in and value it? It now seems that the answer was no. What do we know about Panera Cares and this experiment that uh, didn't seem to be so successful? The founder of Panera, Ron Shake, about nine years ago, he piloted this program called Panera Cares in St. Louis, Missouri. And the idea, he kind of got it from working in soup kitchens and food pantries. He said this in a TEDx presentation that he did around the time that he launched the program, that he had this idea after hearing about a restaurant in Denver called Same Cafe that does a sort of a pay-what-you-can format. He had this idea to create a Panera 
location where people could pay what you can and dine with dignity. And the idea was people could come in and they could volunteer if they were food insecure and build up credit to get a free meal, or they could just come in and get a free meal, or they could pay a reduced price for a menu item. And the restaurant would operate like any regular Panera, just with sort of a different model that was more welcoming to anyone, regardless of their ability to pay. At its peak, they had five different locations and they were designed to be sustainable, but they just weren't financially viable. And specifically in Portland, they were only getting back 60 to 70 percent of its total costs. There was a few problems with that. There was a students were a problem and then homeless patrons were also a problem. What happened with Portland was really interesting. The Oregonian reported on this the most. They reported that when the Panera opened there, the Panera Cares location, that students would come in after school and mob the restaurant and they would eat free meals. And then also there was like a homeless population that was coming in and eating a lot of free meals. And there were not enough people paying the full price or paying the donation price to sustain the restaurant. So the Portland location ended up changing its format, going back and sort of changing its policies, limiting when students could come into the restaurant and limiting how many free meals they would give out to individual people. By doing that, it changed the spirit of Panera Care's goal and made it sort of unwelcoming in some ways. Advocates for people who are food insecure in Portland reported being approached by employees and being made to feel very guilty or unwelcome for introducing their clients to the restaurant and to its format. People would also come off the street thinking that Panera Care's was like any other Panera, which it functionally was designed to be, and then being confused about the clientele and eating around the homeless. And that was also a conflict. And so that restaurant closed a few years ago and similar locations, like you said, there were five, they closed over the past few years. There was only this one Boston location operating since January of last year when the Missouri location closed. There are some companies, as you said, same, uh, so all may eat. And another one uh, in Philadelphia uh, called Eat Everyone at the Table that have had some success with this. Uh, But for now, the last location in Boston, uh, Panera Cares, is going to be closed. Yeah, yeah. It's like you said, it's closing today. But I I think so. there's a lot to be said about this project as being sort of a failure of Panera, maybe to maybe the company underestimated the demand for these free meals. And that I think in a way does illustrate what the company was trying to do, which is that there are a lot of people um, in this country that are hungry and need these meals. And when you do give them a place where they can eat and be, be themselves, then they're going to come. Totally. It's an admirable uh, thing to do. And it is a huge problem. Uh, And I think you alluded to it earlier. Uh, They tried to make this Panera Cares restaurant the exact same thing as the regular Panera restaurants, which there shows there's no differentiation there. Uh, Maybe they could have had a different menu, something catered a little bit more to what would make it more successful, more financially viable. And they didn't do that. Uh, That wasn't part of the original mission. So uh, you're right. It it could work. uh, But just this time, it it did not. Brenna Houck, reporter for Eater.com. Thank you very much for joining us. All right. Thank you. That's it for today. 
Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The Daily Dive is produced by Miranda Moreno and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.